You have heard me say numerous times over the years, you can't give away what you don't have. So here's an important question. Have you experienced real change? Do you really have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you really a Christ follower? Have you ever noticed anything peculiar about news anchors and sportcasters? Things that are almost a little bit humorous? For example, when a news anchor is covering a large fire, they usually wear turnout gear. Um, the same gear that the firefighters wear. And here's the thing. It don't matter how authentic the turnout gear is that they are wearing, they're still not firefighters. But it makes them look the part. Maybe it makes them feel better that if they have a big fire-resistant Kevlar coat on, as they're telling everybody about the fire that they're videoing and showing on the national news, that somehow it's going to make them a little bit more real, a little more trustworthy, a little more authentic, because i got this big fire coat on. In fact, you even notice sometimes I'll put the big hat on. But no matter how real or authentic it is, they're still a news anchor. They're not a firefighter. Have you ever noticed when a sports anchor goes out and he announces the race cars for NASCAR or, or any other one of the major races that are on TV, what's he wearing? A race car driver uniform. You ever notice that? I always thought that was a little bit humorous. You're not a race car driver. Why are you wearing a uniform? I, I don't know if it makes it make him feel a little bit better, a little more authentic, a little more real, but no matter how authentic that uniform looks, it still doesn't make them a race car driver. They're still a sportscaster. So if you would, take your Bible with me this morning and turn to start with in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, and I'm just going to warn you a little bit this morning. I'm going to kind of be a little bit of everywhere. I do that once in a while. If I get going too fast, don't worry. It'll be up on the screen so you can follow along. But I want to bring our attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And the question I want us to think about today is, is there evidence of real change in our life? In other words, if we claim to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, if we claim to be a follower of Christ, is there evidence of real change in my life that gives validation to the fact that I am who I say I am and my claims are exactly as they are in my life? You've also maybe heard me say this statement over the years. Your walk walks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. The idea is that our actions speak louder than words. Either you're a child of God and a true follower of Christ, or it's just empty words. We've illustrated this many times. We tell our kids, go clean your room. Oh, I will. Go clean your room. I'll, I'll get to it. Clean your room and put your clothes away. I'll, I'll get there. Just give me a minute. And we might say these words. Don't tell me, show me. Because it really doesn't matter at times what we say, it's a matter of what we do. And if we truly have evidence of being a child of God, then there ought to be a change that goes along with that in our life. Amen? And it can't just be out of words, otherwise it's nothing, it's meaningless, it's not there. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, see, the new has come. 
So the question I want us to be thinking about as we're going through this verse for a while this morning is what is the evidence that validates my words that say I'm a follower of Christ? I am a Christ follower. These are the things in my life that back that up. It's not just idle words. I truly love my Lord and I have a relationship with Him that changes my life. Lord Jesus, thank You for this time that we have to look forward to Your Word. And I ask God that You would speak to our hearts, Lord, as only You can. I ask God that you would, Lord, begin in my heart, my life. Lord, I know that there's times that, Lord, my actions don't back up what I say. God, forgive me for that. But God, I pray that daily I would be drawing closer to you, Lord, in, in a greater, sweeter relationship with you, Lord, so that my life truly will be backed up by what I say is there. But Lord, I pray for all of us, Lord, that are here this morning, Lord, that we might truly contemplate whether we are truly child of God whether we're truly Christ followers. And Lord, would you speak to all of our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You say, Pastor, why, why are you bringing a message like this this morning? Well, it's part of that give it away series that we've been talking about for the last several weeks. If we are going to share our faith with others, we have to make sure that we're of the faith before we can give it away. The bottom line is there are a lot of people who claim to be followers of Christ, but their life doesn't validate it. It's not being backed up by how they get up in the morning and how they live their day and how they respond and how they act and react to circumstances that take place in a given day. And so it's not just the sins of commission that we may have changed it a little bit in our life, but it's actually some of the sins of omission. You say, what in the world is that? You know, I'm saying, oh, I'm not guilty of committing, quote-unquote, certain sins. I haven't killed anyone. I don't usually lie or cheat or steal. I'm pretty good compared to a lot of people. But what about the sins of omission, the things that are supposed to be in our life that aren't? You see, I, I agree with one of the well-known pastors of our day who said, people live with a certain amount of measurable guilt because they know that there's some things that they should be doing but they're, and they feel bad about it, but, but they're okay with it. Not bad enough to change, but bad enough that I, I feel I should do something, but I'm not sure what, so I'm just, I'm just going to kind of stay the same. Folks, if we are going to claim the name of Christ, there has to be something different in our lives. There has to be something different. So I want to pick up with these four phrases in the verse and kind of contemplate these verses just for a moment. First phrase, if anyone is in Christ. Secondly, he is a new creation. Thirdly, the old has passed away, and last, see, the new has come. But first one, if anyone is in Christ. So if anyone's in Christ, you may recall in years past a phrase something like, he's in Amway. Anybody remember making those phrases about someone that you knew? Right. He's in Amway. Or you might hear someone say, she's in Avon. You know, and, you know that's just kind of code, she sells Avon. Uh, he's in Shackley. You remember all these things that used to be all big names? Some, maybe some of them still are, I'm not sure. Um, she's in Tupperware. You know, etc. It means simply this. They're invested in something. They're invested in Amway. They're invested in Shackley. They're invested in Tupperware. They're invested in Avon. It means that they've committed themselves to a product, to a principle, to a way of life that they think is going to help them become better or more wealthy or more prosperous or whatever the circumstance may be. They're invested. 
it means that one invested in Mary Kay is not going to go to Walgreens to buy their makeup. Is that, is that true, Jan? That's true. Someone invested in Mary Kay is not going to Walgreens. I'm just promising you that. It means someone invested in Young Living is not going to buy essential oils from Walmart. I know my oils. I've heard everyone talking about it. If one is invested in Jesus Christ, they're not going to be satisfied with anything other than Jesus Christ. Amen? If you're invested, it means that you're committed to it. It means it's changing your life because you believe in it. It's not just a phrase. It's not just a buzz phrase. It's not a catchphrase. It's not just a, you know, the popular topic of our day. It means I'm committed to this because I believe it's changing my life. So, how do these companies grow? Well, through those invested in them. You've seen all the schemes, all the plans, all the projections. If you just sell this much product, you'll get to this level, and then you have a greater income, and then you have residual income, and then it's going to allow you to get here, and then you're going to enjoy the perks of it, and figure them out. There, there's all kinds of them out there, right? We've all seen them, but how does the company grow? They are counting on their people to be committed to causing it to grow by sharing it with others. You say, well, we don't do commercials. How many times have I heard that through any number of these programs? We don't do commercials. It's all word of mouth. Well, of course not. Nobody wants to spend money when they don't have to. Because if you're excited about the product, you're going to what? Tell someone. Why is it different with the Jesus Christ? If we're excited and we believe that Jesus Christ has done something in our life, why don't we share that with others? Well, that's a private thing. I mean, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to upset anybody. And by, by the way, they're family members. You know how hard it is to deal with family members. We've all heard all of it, right? But the reality is, the kingdom of God grows by what? Us talking about it. So if one is invested in Jesus Christ, they're not going to be satisfied with anything other than Jesus Christ. But here's the first word of that phrase in 2 Corinthians 5. If. If is a huge two-letter word. If. You see, because if it is true, there's going to be a certain result from it. Are we truly children of God? Because if we are, there will be a result of being a child of God. In fact, if you would, take your Bibles for a moment and turn to the book of Revelation in chapter 3. Say, what's the big deal? Well, we're going to see the big deal. The bottom line is this. We can't be half-hearted Christians. Let me just tell you this, and we've all seen it. We've all known that person who is in Amway or in Shackley or in any number of these. And trust me, I've bought the products, and I think a lot of them are superior, and I'm not against them, and blah, 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 blah. But the reality is this. If you are going to sell for any of these companies, if you are going to or, or, or promote their products, you have to do one thing. You have to believe in it. Because if you don't believe in it, you will never be a productive salesman. I'm just telling you. If someone knocks on my door and says, hey, I want to tell you about Kirby vacuum cleaners, you know, they're, not, they're okay. I mean, I think Eureka at Walmart is probably about 85% as good. But, you know, it's okay. Well, what about the price? Well, yeah, it's a little bit overpriced. But if you're even remotely hesitant, you lost the sale. Bottom line is, if you're not convinced of the product, you will not do well at sharing it with others. 
In Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, it says this. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. Let's stop right there just for a moment. He says, I know everything there is to know about your works. <clears throat> He's talking to the church of Laodicea here. And he says, I know that you're not hot or cold. You're not really burning up for the Lord. You're not really freezing out. You're kind of just in the middle. Verse 16, he says this. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. I mean, think about that just for a moment. When Jesus says, I would rather you be hot, what, what is the advantage of being hot or cold? When someone is cold towards Christ, you know that they're cold towards Christ. When someone is hot for the Lord, so to speak, you know they're excited about what God has done in their life. But though when they're so-so, you can't really tell if they're really a follower or if they're just kind of going through the motions. He says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, I'd rather spew you out of my mouth, he says. In verse 17, and here's the problem. It says, for you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and need nothing, and you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Isn't that the world that we live in? I don't need Christ. I mean, what do I need Christ for? I've got clothes, I've got a nice house, I've got a dependable car, I've got a little bit stashed away for retirement. I'm fine. What, what do I need God for? It's exactly what they're going through. In verse 18, he says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. White clothes so that you may be dressed in your shameful nakedness and not be exposed. And ointment to spread in your eyes so that you may see. He says, you can see, but you're not seeing what you need to see. And I think that's the world that we live in. I'm not really excited. Kind of just walking the line. You know, I'll, I'll get excited when, when I need to. But, you know, hey, that's for other people. That's for holy rollers. It's for those who are really sold out. Number two, not only does he say that if anyone is in Christ, he says he is a new creation. In other words, everything changes. Everything changes. Those in Christ are now in a special family relationship. They have a new home. They have a new purpose. They have new desires. We could illustrate it this way. The caterpillar is no longer crawling on the ground. It's no longer wrapped in a cocoon. It is now flying around in its magnificent array of colors. Why? Because of the change that has taken place. That's what God does for every one of us who truly know Him. He changes everything. He gives us a standing. I love that. I keep coming back to the Psalm 40. He brought me up out of a miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. That's what Jesus did when He saves us he gives us a new standing on the rock and then what goes on it doesn't stop there what it goes on to say is just beautiful and he puts a new song in our mouth what's he saying there boy your attitude changes your heart changes it produces a song that should come out and then here's the third thing many shall see it and fear and what trust in the lord through the very song that he puts in our heart, he says it's an impact that it has on, on, on the world around us that they want to know what's different about us. But if there's no change and there's no difference, why would the world even, first of all, know that we've got something different, and number two, want what we've got? Right? Does that make sense? What is different about our life 
that tells the world around us that there's something different about us. The caterpillar is no longer bound. It's a neat illustration. Climbing so slowly on those leaves, then wrapped in a cocoon, but then the transformation is completed and the magnificent ray of colors comes out. That's what Christ does. Isn't that awesome? He gives us a new standing. Number three, the old has passed away. This is where it gets a little bit murky for a lot of Christians, those who claim the name of Christ. You see, I want to go to heaven, but I really don't want to change the way I live. I really am thankful that Jesus died on a cross, but that, does that mean I have to give up all these things that I enjoy? I've said many times over the years, when I got married, no one gave me the men's manual on how to be successful in marriage. They really should have given every man that manual. Trust me. And all you women said, thank you. We should have got the manual. We didn't. But what I've learned over the years is that there are certain things that will irritate the fire out of my wife. And I know what buttons those are. Dave, I know what buttons those are. But I've also learned that if I don't want the wrath, I don't push the button. Isn't that an amazing concept? It really is simple. There are certain things I can do that will have a response that is not enjoyable. But what I've learned over the years is I don't want to push that button. Not just to avoid an argument or a fight or an unpleasant situation. But I want to do the things that please her. I want to do the things that she enjoys. I want to do the things that make her happy. Why? Because that's what we ought to be doing as believers, as men, in a godly marriage. The reality is, the longer I'm with my wife, the more I love her. I thought that 24 years ago, I loved my wife. And yes, I did. But I love her far more today than I did 24 years ago. Those of you that have been married for a while, you know that, right? Because the longer you're in that relationship, the closer you get, the more love you have for that person. And the reality is, I can encourage that or I can discourage that. Who I am in Christ should look differently now than who I was before Christ. Let me say that again. Who I am in Christ now should look differently than what it looked like before I became a child of God. Before Christ came into my life. Why? Because Christ now lives within me. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's the difference. Verse 19 says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. What's he saying here? We have the Holy Spirit living within us. Probably 85% of all grandparents in America, at one time or another, had the sign that said what? Jesus is the unseen guest at every meal. I think every grandparent in America had that picture up for a while. Do you realize that no matter where we go, no matter what we do, no matter what we say, no matter what we think, 
that God knows all that. He's there. He's omnipresent. It means he's everywhere we can be. He's omniscient, so he knows everything that we can know and more. He's omnipotent. He's powerful. Everything that can be known about us, God knows. We can't hide it. And the reality is, he lives within us. So we can't claim the name of Christ and live like we did before we claimed the name of Christ. There has to be a change in our life. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, there are several verses that talk about this. And I love these verses. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11 says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. You've heard me illustrate this many times over the years. What's this simply mean? If I do something, it's because I chose to do it. I can either live according to my flesh and please my flesh, or I can live according to the Spirit and please God. Bottom line is, it's a choice. They that set, do things according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. Those that live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit according to these verses. Verse 6. Now the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set of the Spirit is life and peace. Okay, if I want to keep going towards death, keep living for the flesh. If I want to live for life and peace, I have to set my mind on things of the, of the Spirit. Verse 7, the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But here's where it says there's a difference. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So here's the question. Is the Spirit of God living within you? Because if he's living within you, you have a choice to make. Am I going to continue to live according to the flesh, or am I going to live according to the Spirit who lives within me? Verse 10, Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the Spirit who lives in you. Where's the power to live according to the Spirit? From the Holy Spirit, from God. So there is a new spirit within us that allows us to live in a way that would bring pleasure to God. Galatians, if you would turn your Bibles to Galatians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So over a couple pages to the right. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I love this verse. Verse 20 says this. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the Apostle Paul says, when people look at me, I don't want them to see Paul. If I were Paul, I wouldn't want them to see me either. The bottom line is, I don't want people to see who I am. I want, to see people, I want people to see a picture of Christ in me. That's the impact that we want to have in the world. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. How can you say you've been crucified? He's still alive talking. Spiritually speaking, 
he put the old man to death. In fact, we see that in Romans. If you would turn your Bibles back to the book of Romans chapter 6. It's back a few pages. Romans chapter 6. This is what he's talking about. So he gives a new spirit within us. Galatians 2.20 gives us a new faith to live by. And then number 3 in Romans chapter 6, he gives us a new life. Beginning with verse 1. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Let's stop right there just for a moment. There's a mindset among some believers that says, well, it really doesn't matter how I live. I mean, I can live however I want because as soon as I go to God and say, God, I'm sorry for this sin. Will you please forgive me? God's going to forgive me, right? So I can live however I want knowing that God's just going to forgive me anyway, right? Wrong. He says, should we, should we continue in sin so that God's grace may multiply on us? He says, no way. Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He says, you can't be a child of God and continue to live in sin just because God will forgive your sin. He says, you've got to make a choice. can't continue to stay there. Verse 3, or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Now, think about this for a moment. You've heard me illustrate this before. When I get baptized, which is the first step of obedience of putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when I truly know Jesus Christ, my first step of obedience is to get baptized. So when I stand in the water, and my body stands in the water, what am I forming? A cross. See, we are identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ. What did Jesus Christ do on the cross? He died, and he was buried. We go under the water to signify the death of Christ. But did Jesus Christ stay in the grave? Praise God, no. He came up out of the grave. And so what happens in that process? We are identifying our lives with Christ by standing in the water. We form a cross. And as Christ was buried, we go under the water. And as we go under the water, we are crucifying the old man. Who we were before Jesus Christ came into our lives. And just as Christ rose from the dead, we come up out of the water, out of the grave, signifying new life in Christ. So we are putting to death the old man. So once again, so how can I claim to be a child of God and still live like I did before I claimed child of, to be a child of God? There has to be a difference. There has to be a change. Verse 6 says this, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. He said, when you put to death that old man, you are giving it up. You are relinquishing the way you once lived before Christ came into your life. Verse 7, since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God so that you two consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the evidence of a new life in Christ. That's evidence of real change that has happened in my life. So he says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, and the old has passed away. And then number four, he says this, see, the new has come. The new has come. 
And the new is not the same as the old. Things that are new are not old. You say, well, duh. It's pretty obvious. You see, when something new comes, there's a new joy, a new excitement, a new fervor, a new commitment. The new has come. Take revivals and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, if you would. Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to read with verse, beginning with verse 17. And I want you to pick up on a couple of words that are in this passage, the word new. Verse 17 says, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with desire for more and more. And I love this verse 20. Get this verse. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. To take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, here it is, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. He's what's he saying here? The old has passed away. The old life has been put to death. And now you're renewed by your mind and by the newness that he gives us in Jesus Christ. You could go on verse 25 and following, and that's really good evidence of real change in your life. Talking about some of the things that happen in our life, the characteristics of a new life in Christ in verses 25 and following. But I want you to turn your Bibles over a couple pages to the uh, uh, right, to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. And once again, keep the idea of new. Verse 5, it says, Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. Verse 7, I love this. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. What's he saying here? If Jesus Christ has come into your life, that's in the past. Those characteristics not, ought, ought not to be in the child of God. That's in the past. It's no longer. Verse 8, But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie one to another, since you have put off the old self with its practices. And I put on the new self. You are being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your Creator. In Christ there is no Greek and Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. There's a change that comes over us. And the change changes everything. The old has passed away, the new has come. We live differently now because of Christ being in our life, because of having a relationship with Him. We ought not to live the same way we did before we claimed Christ. So why does this all matter? Because if it doesn't, if there's not a change, and Christ has not impacted our life, and He hasn't changed the way we live, and the way we think, and the way we talk, and the way we interact in our culture and our communities, you'll never give it away. And nobody will notice that you have anything different than what they have. Folks, it is of utmost importance that we live in such a way that, first of all, that we are walking in obedience to God, that we have the righteousness of God in our life, 
and that the world sees that from us. And as we speak with them, they know that there's something different. The bottom line is, the life in Christ ought to look different than what our life looked like before Christ. These four phrases speak volumes about us and who we are. Is there a lasting and continuing change in our life since your profession of faith in Christ? You see, following Christ is not just turning over a new leaf. It's not trying to get some new habits in your life as a New Year's resolution. Coming to Christ is not just saying, well, I don't want to go to hell, so therefore I'll say a prayer. It's not any of that. It's not in joining a church, as I've said a million times. It's not in being, being a Baptist or a Catholic or a Lutheran, Church of God, Church of Christ, or any other denomination under the sun. It's not in being a member of a local church. Some of those things are important. It's not about what I give, though that may be important. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it ought to change everything. Not just the things we don't do, but also the things that we should be doing. It's not just a matter of saying, I have it here in my heart, I'm good. It's not just a matter of saying, well, I can look back to the time when I gave my life to Christ, I'm good. I'm on my way to heaven, boom, stamp. Got to go, got to go, I'm good. Is there a lasting change that comes, has come in our life? No change, possibly no Christ. Remember, it's a relationship. In closing, Dr. Glenn Spencer in his expository pulpit series said this concerning a Christian as a new creation in Christ. A creation of God's redemptive work. He is a new creature with a new director, a new determination, a new demeanor, new delights, new desires and a new destiny say it one more time he says we have a new director that's God himself we live to please Jesus himself he says we have a new determination in other words now you have a purpose in life you know what you're here for we talked about it last week we are ambassadors for Christ right as child of God number three we have a new demeanor our attitude our presence is not the same as it was before Christ there should be humility and surrender and commitment in our life. We have a new demeanor. There's a new face on us. There's new desires. I no longer live for the things of this world. Because remember, 1 John 2, 15-17, For all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And we know, according to verse 17, the things of this world are going to what? Pass away. So you're either going to live for things that account for eternity, which are the souls of men and the Word of God, or the things of this earth, which will be tried by fire, according to God's Word. So we have new desires. And lastly, he said we have a new destiny. There is no greater joy, no greater hope than to know that one day as a child of God we can spend eternity in heaven with him. Isn't that awesome? Trust me, I have no death wish. I like what my brother-in-law said. He says, if you ever find me dead and a note next to me saying I committed suicide, don't you believe it. I love my life way too much. Bottom line is I have no death wish, but I am looking forward to heaven. Amen? The reality is, folks, there should be a change. There ought to be evidence of real change in our life. Why would we not get involved in areas of ministry? 
faith without work is what? Dead. We should want to serve the Lord because of what he's done for us. Romans 12, 1 says, It's your reasonable form of worship to give your life as a living sacrifice. Not to die for the Lord, but to live for the Lord. That should be our desire. A reasonable form of worship, God says. So the question is this. Is there a lasting and continuing change in your life? Why do I say lasting and continuing? Because the change is forever. But we continue to grow. A lasting and continuing change in our life since our profession of faith in Christ. Is there a change? Do we live to serve the Lord or do we live to please self? It really is what it comes down to. Who are you living for?